Mud Stories, Episode 47. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I think that's the the beauty of the mud is that the thing that brings us to the end of ourself is the thing that has the greatest capacity to show us who God is. But I truly think that until we find the thing that rubs us raw, breaks us open, brings us to the end of ourselves, we're only functioning at half our capacity of intimacy with God, of empathy for one another, of our ability to love, really. I think one of our greatest mistakes in our Christian culture today is that we are afraid to let people sit with grief and with pain and with sorrow long enough to find the gift. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. I am so glad you're here with me for part two of my conversation with Colleen Mitchell. And I must confess, I am so sorry this episode is late, but I have been on a family vacation with my kids and my husband and my parents. We are currently on an Alaskan cruise, and I am in one of the lower level classrooms of this ship recording this introduction for you today and hoping to get Wi-Fi to connect and and be able to get this episode out to you. I just can't wait for you to hear this part two episode with Colleen Mitchell. Now, as a reminder, Colleen is a wife to Greg and mother to five boys ages eight to 16, and she resides with her family in Costa Rica where they serve full-time there at the St. Francis Emmaus Center, helping women, children, and their families. And Colleen is also a writer over at her blog entitled blessedarethefeet.com, and in this episode, she shares with us the story behind that title. Now, if you've not heard part one of my conversation with Colleen, you might be a little bit lost where we pick up our conversation here for part two. So if you missed that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and hear the first part of Colleen's story in episode 46. And I promise we will be right here waiting when you return. And so to listen to part one, you can either go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 46, or you can listen on the Mud Stories app, which you can find for free wherever you get apps for your device. All you have to do is search for Mud Stories and download it as my free gift to you. So in this part two episode, Colleen goes on to share more thoughts and insight and wisdom about loss and ongoing grief how she and her family came to live in Costa Rica, and more about the work they are doing there. Also, how saying yes to God, even in our deepest grief, can bring growth, satisfaction, and deep joy if we choose it. I just love Colleen's heart, and I'm so inspired by how each of her yeses along the way have accumulated, and how God is continuing to redeem her grief and loss. 
And so it's my prayer that Colleen's words would be an inspiration to you no matter what you're facing today, that you would understand and know the truth that God is good and he can redeem all things no matter what. So without delay, here is part two of my conversation with Colleen Mitchell. Enjoy. And so eventually I ended up having to just say, I don't understand myself. I don't understand God. I don't understand my husband in this. And I'm just going to throw myself onto the wild waves of mercy and grace that I know are here for me and let myself be led. Mm, Such trust that requires, Colleen. How did, wow, that's amazing. Trust in God, trust in your husband, trust in the process, all of it. It was, and it, it felt very much like coming to a single point where I made a conscious decision to jump out of the plane. And after you did, what happened? Well, okay, so that happened in about October that I got to a point where I said, God, if this is what you want for us, I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to stop fighting you, and I'm going to stop fighting Greg, and I'm just going to let myself be led. I'm just going to let myself be dependent. Did you end up spending more time reading your Bible or praying as a result of that? I mean, what did that practically look like, the jump? It looked a lot like a lot of time in my Bible, a yeah. lot of time praying, a lot of time tucked up in the in the corner of my rocking chair in the mornings in the silence of of our house and me learning that this whole process of trusting God and and trusting in his mercy for me was a lot less about what God wanted me to do and a lot more about who God wanted to be for me in that he was not forcing my hand to form this not-for-profit in our child's name and to go minister to these indigenous people in the mountains of Costa Rica because he wanted me to do something for him as much as he wanted that dependent, scared little girl who was curled up in her ball in her rocking chair to cry out, to throw herself on the ways of his mercy. And he wanted to draw near in that. And that was the lesson that, and it's still the lesson daily that I'm learning in this life. But I think it was the great lesson in this story is that the redemption of my loss did not come from the thing that we do. It came in who God is and in knowing in my utter dependency on him and my, and throwing myself upon him and saying, I don't know anymore. I don't know who I am. I don't know who you are. Lead me, show me that in that place he was faithful Hmm. and he was good. Wow. That's beautiful. It sounds like as you just made a decision to seek intimacy with God, really above all things, he met you there. He did. He always did. And I, I think in, in finding out that he always showed up, what I learned was it wasn't that he was showing up. It was that he had always been there. That hmm. I came to be able to reconcile that very hard things could happen 
and he could still be a very good God. Yeah. And maybe more so learned that after him meeting you than you ever did before. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's sort of like we can know these concepts spiritually by learning them intellectually. But don't you think there's some weight to the mud, really? When we get to the bottom and we have nothing left of ourselves and we say, okay, God, I don't have it. I, I got nothing. Like, I need you to show up here in a real way or I'm not going to make it. That's right. when we discover who he really is. Not that he hadn't been that the whole time, but it takes sometimes a ton of mud for us to get to a place where we're ready and receptive to learn who he really is in us and through us and with us and f how he's for us. Um, I think that's why, you know, here at Mud Stories, any of the people who have come to share with me here, it really is the message that they all champion. You know, many of them would say, yes, what I went through was so painful. And whether I chose it or whether it happened to me, what I learned from it, I wouldn't change because it's the way in which I cultivated an intimacy with God that I maybe otherwise would have never experienced without the pain, you know, and then they will say, you know, not that I want to learn it that way again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like I have the treasure now and I'm so thankful that it's a treasure, but I don't want to go back and have to learn that lesson again, you know? Right. Yeah. And surely I think, you know, in other words, if God had given me a choice, like you can learn this lesson and still have your baby in your arms or, you know, we can do it this way. I wouldn't have picked the way of loss. In other words, none of it makes up for Bryce not being here. Right. There's always a sense of God has brought so much healing and so much redemption, but it's just a glimpse of what I'm really waiting for. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really waiting for when it's all fully redeemed. And that will come on this side of heaven. But... I do think what I learned in the process of grief is that for me, it was very hard to be a person who was dependent, who couldn't do it by herself. I very much depended on my capability in most circumstances in life. Yeah. And to suddenly find myself so consumed by grief that I was incapable of making a decision or incapable of seeing the vision and what was going on and championing it and being the one to really take charge and lead it was a very unusual and difficult place for me to find myself. But it brought me, like you were just saying, to the end of myself, to the end of my own capabilities where they weren't there anymore and I couldn't rely on them anymore and where I had only God to trust. And I think that's the, the beauty of the mud is that the thing that brings us to the end of ourself is the thing that has the greatest capacity to, to show us who God is. For me now, as I'm a little bit further out in the process and I'm able to kind of still walk in grief, but in a different dimension of it at this point, I've learned to, to see that for me, 
grief that's a gift, but it's a gift that comes wrapped in sandpaper. I like to say it. Grief is like a sandpaper package, you know? It's a gift that you can't open quickly because it would just hurt too bad. And as you take your time opening it, you've got to accept that it's going to rub you raw in places. It's going to make you bleed in places. It's going to hurt a little bit or a lot. But that once you take the time to work through that rubbing away, that painful process, God has something in there for you. And I think one of our greatest mistakes in our Christian culture today is that we are afraid to let people sit with grief and with pain and with sorrow long enough to find the gift. We want to hurry it along and we want to think if we truly believed and if we had truly had faith, we'd get through it quickly. Whereas I think God and his intimate desire for our hearts wants us to take all the time we need to let that sandpaper do its work until we're ready to receive the gift underneath it. And it's possible that unless we take the time, we'd never recognize the gift, you know, exactly. Almost in a way, like we really need to live life in a broken way. I, I think truly, and it will all be, it will be different. The, the thing for each of us, Um, the mud for each of us. But I truly think that until we find the thing that rubs us raw, breaks us open, brings us to the end of ourselves, we're only functioning at half our capacity of, of intimacy with God, of empathy for one another, of our ability to love, really. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And so maybe the prayer should be, God, whatever you give, I'm going to receive it with open hands, like, a, like the kind of sandpaper package you're describing. And the prayer would be, make me into whoever you know is best for me, where I can see you the clearest and the most intimate and the most real so that my life can truly be a reflection to the world of your goodness. Yes. Yeah. Just beautiful, Colleen. I just, I can learn so much from you. And I did when I first met you that time and talked with you and even again today speaking with you. So I will, uh, I will say you are in Costa Rica now. So, you know, you moved you're serving there. Catch us up. Yes. Fast forward us what you all are doing in Costa Rica and what your ministry is. So when I finally um, came to the end of myself and chose to to just throw myself in trust and let myself be led, God worked very quickly and brought about a vision for us to bring our family to Costa Rica and live and work amongst this Quebecer indigenous tribe. We've now been here nearly four years. Um, we got on a plane with our five babies, si- sight unseen. Greg had been here before only once. I had never been here before and drove out into the 
the high mountains and rainforests of, of Costa Rica and built our lives here, Le left everything behind and stripped everything we owned down to 12 suitcases and ourselves and, um, wow. and came to Costa Rica. And then we spent a, a year in just a very quiet, isolated existence knowing that God had a plan and that he wanted to use us. But most of that first year was about God ministering to us. Hmm. Um, life is very quiet and very slow here. And at first you're just learning language and culture and there's not a lot to do. Yeah. Did you already know Spanish when you went? I knew very, very minimal Spanish, not very much. Okay. So we learned language and we spent just an awful lot of time sitting by the sides of rivers while our kids swam and sitting on our front porch with our Bibles, drinking coffee and sitting alone in the church praying. And that almost a year of our existence was simply learning to be again. Had you raised support so that there was an income or how did that work? Well, part of the, the, the moment a single morning that I really prayed the prayer, okay, God, I'm willing to trust you. If this is, if this is where you want me to let myself be led, I'm willing to go. You just have to show me. Um, that very day we were offered the support of a church to get here and get set up and get our lives running as a family here and build our not-for-profit. And they offered to provide us what we needed for the first two years as we built vision and figured out what God was calling us to oh, do. Here. What a blessing. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. So the first two, first year you were learning language, accommodating, just getting used to the culture because the boys were little, right? The boys were young and, and, well, our oldest was 13 at the time, so he went through a very hard transition. This was a, a huge change. Mm -hmm. um, my husband's mother passed away from cancer shortly after we arrived here, about two months after we arrived here. He and my oldest left and went back to the States. We couldn't bring everyone home at that point. So I was suddenly by myself in this teeny tiny town far away from anything familiar with four little boys and had to try to figure out how to make life work. And those early days, we, we had almost no internet connection, no communication. We didn't have a car and we were two hours away from the nearest city where there was grocery shopping, banking, running errands, any of those sorts of things. Wow. Um, so we were thrown into a time of really just focusing on us and being us. And then as, Time went by and we got accustomed to the place where we were and the culture and we began to undertake some outreach and some ministries and we began to hike out into the villages in the indigenous reserve lands and spend time with families and communities and getting to know people and coming to understand their culture and making friends and building relationships and it didn't take long for me to start to watch moms who have the same mother heart as I do, no matter how different their culture or their way of life is from me, to watch them pregnant or with little babies who, who get sick and need medical care and wonder, what did they do? 
How did they get what they needed for themselves and their babies when they were pregnant or their little children were sick? And then um, upon researching and asking questions and trying to find out, I realized that they had very minimal access to medical care. And because of that, the Quebecer indigenous population suffered an infant mortality rate five times higher than the rest of Costa Rica. Wow. And that was uh, another defining point for me, uh, a point that we talked about how Bre uh, Bryce's death left an indelible mark and made me a different person. Mm -hmm. um, there was a point in this question of, what are these moms doing? How are they surviving motherhood? And finding out that they weren't always surviving motherhood and that their babies weren't always surviving, that changed me. And it birthed in me a passion to do something. And I didn't know what it was at first, but I just knew that that wasn't okay. Yeah. And that I was the one who was here and so I was the one who had to do something. So when you first arrived in Costa Rica, you didn't have a clear knowledge of what you would end up doing serving there. But this was an aha moment that began a passion within you that soon led you to discover what it was you would end up doing. Right. We knew we had a basic outline of wanting to share the gospel, wanting to teach people about the faith and helping the church build infrastructure that made that more possible. But we had no idea, inkling of an idea, that God was going to birth something, something so purposeful and something that we could be so passionate about in us. But he did, you know. And two years ago, we began to address this issue of, of moms needing access to medical care, of moms needing help accessing a system that's very foreign to them culturally when you're talking about a medical and a healthcare system and, and moms who are communicating mostly in their second language and moms who are suddenly in a city in a hospital environment when that's not at all what their their communities and their homes and their cultural lifestyle looks like um and it all the passion was born in me in in seeing the need and researching the need but the Outreach developed very organically. It was very clear that God just said there was no need to wait, to just say yes to the first person we saw who had a need. And so Greg and I had talked and talked and talked and talked about how much we felt like helping these moms was the thing God wanted us to do. And one day we were riding down the road and we saw a mom walking with a small baby it was clear she'd been walking a long time. So we stopped and asked her where she was going. And she told us that her baby, with her three-month-old baby, was ill. She had been having vomiting and diarrhea. And she was walking out. She had already been walking for about three hours at that point. She was walking out to meet an ambulance. But she had no way of knowing whether she had arrived in time or whether the ambulance had already come and gone and left her because she had no way of communicating while she was walking. And so I just thought, why well, can't leave her and not know whether she gets this baby to a hospital? And so 
we just stayed with this mom. And then I asked a question when the ambulance did arrive to pick her up of what would happen when she went to the emergency room and she finished the process and if her baby was okay and just needed some IV fluids or something basic and then would be released, what would she do? Because there wouldn't be a bus back for her to get close to her home. She couldn't walk at late at night with a baby. And so I asked what she would do. And the ambulance driver just sort of looked at me like he had no idea what she would do. And so I left her my phone number. And sure enough, she called that evening and needed to be picked up from the hospital and needed a place to stay until she could get back home. And so we picked her up and we brought her to our house and put her in our extra bedroom. And that was the beginning of a ministry that has now been functioning and growing and developing over the last two years that we call the St. Francis Amaya Center, um, where we serve indigenous women by giving them a place to stay, food and safety, shelter, a safe place to stay, and in addition to meeting their basic needs, where we offer them support, education, um, we accompany them through the, their appointments and help them access the system, the medical care system, and the things that they need. Our priority is to help provide safe attended births for pregnant women, um, and to address needs of moms who have infants who, who have some special need. Maybe they're having trouble breastfeeding or their baby is um, sh shows signs of a chronic illness early on or their baby is born a bit premature and needs time where they would have um, fairly regular follow-up appointments. And those women are able to come and stay in this what we call a hostel, much like you would stay in a hostel when you're traveling, um, that's based out of our home. And we share our space with them and share our lives with them and just walk with them on this journey. That is, that's the reason why we chose the word Emmaus as part of the name of the center. Hmm. Beautiful. So they can stay how long how, and how many women and how has God grown the space? So we started out with just a single room in the back of our home. Um, we were renting a house at a time that had an extra nondescript, just huge room on it that we didn't really know what the purpose of it was. And so we turned that into a little space where we could have one woman at a time stay. Eventually, as the need became so obvious and we were able to build our collaborative efforts with um, the director of the national health care system and the ministry of health in our region, we began to look for a, a space that we could grow the ministry out of. And we are actually now on the, the third version, the third home that we've lived in of the center. And in, that, in our current situation, we've now grown to where we have a capacity for 18 women at a time. Wow. Um, and we have a full-time employee, a house mom, who helps us with the day-to-day -day running of the center. We also have a mom who is part of our team, who is a Quebecer indigenous mother, 
who waited out the last trimester of a high-risk pregnancy with us, eventually had to have a C-section and needed recovery time from the C-section and then had very difficult problems with lactation and breastfeeding and stayed with us almost three months after her baby was born, just working out all of the issues Mm -hmm. until everybody was healthy. And then came back to visit us and we just felt like she was a... She was supposed to be on our team. God wanted her to be a great cultural liaison for us. She can speak the women's language and make them, give them a level of comfort that they can't have with just us. And so she's now a member of our team and she and her four-month-old baby live with us full-time and help serve the women who come to us as well. So she is a integral part of our team now. And we are averaging serving 12 to 20 women a month, depending on time and day and circumstance, weather, um, rainy season inevitably makes for more sick babies and moms who need to be real careful about getting out early. And so we have a heavy volume of women, um, the more rainy the weather is. And not every woman, some women are pregnant women who end up spending two or three weeks before their pregnancies waiting, um, at the, you know, to give birth. And then if their baby's born and everything and they're healthy and the baby's healthy and breastfeeding goes well, then maybe they spend another four or five days and then they're on their way home. Now, when you say home, how far do they walk home? It depends. Some of the uh, first, their journey home would start with a hour and a half to two hour drive. Okay. And then um, when they reach the farthest point that a car could drop them off, then they would start walking. And some women live two to four hours away. Some women live eight to 10 hours away walking. Wow. Now, have you and Greg gone to their villages? We have. We haven't been to the very deepest villages. Um, but, but our entire family, including our five boys have hiked in and been to the villages that are three and four hour hikes Mm -hmm. away. Do some of the women know you there? Like you, they remember? Yeah. Yes. As a matter of fact, it's been interesting as when we hit the dry season of this year and we could get out and about a little bit uh, March of this year that we we were able to to make some village visits and um and it was mostly Greg because now it's not as easy for me to leave home with constantly having moms here but Greg was so affirmed and would come home so happy because he would get to a village and be greeted with people who were coming to thank us oh for having cared for their sister or their cousin or their aunt or their own baby or, um, you know, any number of, of family members or relationships. And um, it has built a very special connection hmm. between us and the people who we who we're serving. And a beautiful reputation of trust. Right. I mean, if you if you think about it, you know, birth is a a crisis on many levels for a yes. family. You're changed in a, in a way, in a profound way by bringing a baby into your family. And so, um, 
we all need a network of support around us in that at that point in life, no matter how many resources we have, it's important for us to feel loved and supported by a community of people in that moment. And so the moms we serve who often don't have that kind of network of support, there's a, they have family, many of them have family, but they're young and they're starting out life and they're alone very often in the, in the initiation of this life of motherhood. Um, to have someone come alongside you and kind of envelop you in in love and support and care and be about meeting your needs rather than you being the one in charge of making sure that everybody's okay. Because um, you know, as moms, that's who that's who we tend to be, right? We're the ones who we're the ones who take care of people. But it's such a relief to us as moms when someone else comes alongside and says, "Hey, let me take care of you for a minute." And that's universal. It doesn't matter where you live or who you are as a mom, when you're so busy trying to make everything all right for everyone else, when someone can come alongside you and, and just love on you and be there for you, there's a special bond that happens in that. Very special. And I can say, I know that full well, you know, serving as a labor and delivery nurse, or I should say working as a labor and delivery nurse all these years. Birth is a time that's not only vulnerable, but very intimate. And, you know, it only happens so many times in our lives. And so I love the whole story, how you saw a need and you just said a simple yes to what was just right in front of you. And look what God's done. Look what he's done, Colleen. It's just marvelous. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so edified in my own faith to watch what God's doing through you and Greg and your center and your your missions organization. Um, it's just beautiful. And I'm so honored and thankful that you said yes to come and share with everyone here because I think they all need to hear that message that it's just that that next small yes again and again and again, like you've done. Right. And sometimes, and they don't always have to be um, like, you know, we talked about that first hard yes of me just throwing myself in, into trust into God's arms and saying, go ahead, take me where you want to take me. And gradually it's gotten easier to say yes over and over and over again. I don't think had in that moment that I thrown myself in God's mercy, if I had known what was coming, I don't think I ever would have been able to say yes to it in that moment, <laughs> you know? So true. Um, but I think it is a, just like grief is a long process, learning the discipline of yes is a long process. And God doesn't ask us always to, to say the big yes all at one time, you know? He takes us through a gradual stripping away of all of our um, reasons for saying no. And he proves to us over and over again that every time we say yes, he's going to be faithful and do something bigger than we could have imagined until the big yes is all of a sudden just a cumulative effect. And, it, you know, I, never, I didn't set out to, to do some great world-changing thing. I just didn't want a mommy to be left on the side of the road with her baby, you know? Right. And, um, and that's, what's beautiful, you know? And if you had asked me in the beginning, did I think that my own loss could find some redemption 
and helping other moms keep their babies in their arms, I would have said no. I would have thought, well, that's actually kind of unfair to ask of me, right? Right. Um, But this long process of, this long process of, on the one hand, learning to accept and live in my grief, and on the other hand, learning to trust that in the midst of that, God is good and God is faithful. And in saying yes to him, he will show us the ways that he wants to bring redemption and healing to us and use our story to bring redemption and healing to others. Yes. Yes. Is I could never, ever have imagined. It's mind blowing. It really is mind blowing. The plan. It's really mind blowing. Yeah. And it's proof that he has to be good because who else could have imagined this? Right. I mean, if, if you would have gotten the download from him that you were going to be, you know, <laughs> housing with your five boys, you know, up to 18 women with two staff people, and you were going to start learning how to be a birth attendant and a doula, and you were going to possibly deliver babies and interact with the socialized, you know, medicine system there and advocate for all these women through the government and all of that, you would have just freaked out. You would have been like, ah, no way, God, you know, no way, no way. But especially in the aftermath of losing your own babies, you know, but that's what I love so much about your story is it gives me, it gives anyone listening the hope, you know, a lot of times we feel so small. We compare ourselves to other people doing amazing things in ministry. Um, you know, we get out that measuring stick and we think, who am I? You know, there's nothing I have to offer the world. There's nothing that God would use me to do. And this is an amazing example that it's not anything big that gets downloaded. It's just showing up, spending time, asking God, God, show me your own self through your word. Help me see myself how you see me. Help me to see what's right in front of me in this moment and help me to have the courage to say yes, you know? And like you say, it's the cumulative effect of one yes on top of another yes. And all of a sudden, your big thing is just a bunch of the yeses along the way. And I bet sometimes you sit in that house and you go, really, God, I can't believe this is what it is. You know, like, what a privilege, you know, to serve. And to talk about it almost seems so odd to me because because of this cumulative effect of yeses, it just feels like normal life to me. Right, right. Um, this is just what we do. It doesn't But it's marvelous. Feel, yeah. But it mostly just feels like waking up and cook, cook, cooking breakfast, you know? <laughs> I just do it for more people than I used to. <laughs> <laughs> and you love on pregnant mamas and babies and uh, yes. I, it's my dream to come visit you there. It really is. I, I hope I can come someday. Come visit. And on a side note, everybody needs to know that you're a writer and you have a blog. Tell everybody where you blog at, where they can find you online. Okay. My blog is at um, www.blessedarethefeet.com. Now, is there a story behind that title? Well, um... I blogged at another blog in my early young mommy life. And it was a blog more about my homeschooling life and that kind of thing. And I just felt like 
as I changed directions and we said yes to this life of bringing the gospel to people, I wanted a new space that fit and reflected this new calling on our life. I have really found my writing voice in writing about my grief process and our yes and what God did for us in that and in telling the stories of the people we serve in our adventures. And so blessed are, are the feet is a allusion to the scripture verse of beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And I purposely chose not to name it beautiful are the feet because for me, um, this calling was a, as much of a blessing for me as it was me giving something. Right. Right. Well, I love that. And I really hope, you know, that maybe just maybe someday God will provide a way for you to write, you know, all of this and more as he unfolds the story in a continuing way into a regular kind of traditional book that we can buy and, and just enjoy really reflecting on all you've shared here and whatever in the future God's going to do. So, um, I just, I just think it's too beautiful not to share. It's just amazing what God's done. Thank you. I thank you for the the chance to share it with you and, and just be able to articulate it again, because it's always a reminder to me too. I relearn the lessons every time I have the chance to speak them or write them or share them with others. Isn't that so true? And that's another really good point that you make, Colleen. We should all be sharing our stories, not only for those who are listening to us, but for our own hearts, because, you know, working through it again to even be able to articulate it, there's more aha moments to be had, don't you think? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, I've loved, loved talking to you. I know it was super hard for us to get our connection to work and for us to um, get all the audio and tech and all of that together. And I'm just so thankful that, that it worked out and that um, we, we got this precious time to spend together. I will be remembering and cherishing it really sincerely, Colleen. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you so much, Jackie. I'm thankful for you and our friendship too. Yeah. So I will link to all of your places so everybody can go check it out. I'm sure on your blog, there's pictures of Costa Rica and they can see all the, the things and follow your story and how you're also sharing Christ with these ladies, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's right there on my blog in the side, there's a little video where they can actually see some of our moms and babies and a little bit more of the story of this ministry. Oh, I can't wait. I'll definitely be linking to that. And Maybe I can even put a direct copy of it on the on the post. We'll see. But um, so excited for them to check you out. And there's always a spot or a place or a welcoming way that they can contribute or donate if they want to. And I'll link to that. So, you know, we just appreciate you, Colleen, and all you guys are doing. Say hello to your sweet hubby and your boys for us. I sure will. And um, I will talk soon for sure. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for my conversation with Colleen. And I just love how she described grief as a gift wrapped in sandpaper. Isn't that so true? It's such a unique and accurate word picture of what grief feels like and how it shapes us and postures us 
for the goodness that God has for us ahead if we choose to just look for him and say yes wherever he leads. And that's so hard sometimes, but I just am so inspired and encouraged by Colleen's story because she is an example of doing that very thing. And, you know, some years have gone by and now we get to reap the benefit of all God has done and is doing in her life. And so I'm so very thankful that she came and shared with us here at Mud Stories. As usual, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode, including links to Colleen's blog and the video explaining the St. Francis Emmaus Center. I encourage you to take a look at that link. And you can find that over at the show notes page at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 47. And also, I don't want you to forget, you can get a free audiobook today by going to MudStoriesBook.com and signing up for a free 30-day trial, which you can cancel at any time at no cost to you. And you get to keep your audiobook for free. So check that out at mudstoriesbook.com. I've really been so enjoying listening to books. There's something about listening that just gets me engaged and helps me to get things done at the same time I'm reading a book. I'm just really loving it. So thank you again so much for taking time out of your day to listen here with me. And it's my hope that you've really been encouraged by Colleen's story. I know I was really encouraged by all God has done in and through her yeses. And it's my hope that you will know and believe that all of us can know and believe that God can and will do the same for us in and through our yeses too. And if you have a story that you would love to share with me, maybe some mud that you've walked through or some ways you've said yes to God in and through your grief or your loss or really any mud that you've faced, I would so love to hear from you. You can reach out to me across any of the social media avenues, or you can always send me an email at Jackie at JackieWatkins.com. I would so love to hear from you. Or maybe you know of someone that you think I should talk to here on the podcast. I would love your input and your feedback. So I I look forward to hearing from you if you feel led to reach out. And so my hope and prayer always at the end of every episode is that no matter what you're facing today, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may you find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Never in you ever feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in you mother feels a press upon my That leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel
song 